0: biblical scholar of another era, Joachim Jeremias, he visited Germany shortly after World War II to stay with some friends. He met his friends and went into the backyard where a crude tent had been set up. It was set up for the observance of the Feast of Booths, a Jewish holiday that recalls the Israel's wanderings in the wilderness, sleeping in tents. Fastened on the entrance to the tent were two slips of paper, each with a brief message. On the left was written, on the entrance to the tent, to the left was written, from God. And on the right, to God. There, simply yet dramatically, said Jeremiah, was the whole of life. From God, to God, and in between, a tent. Some of you have heard me share before that I used to love to take my children, when they were younger, uh, camping. We probably camped uh, in tents outside um, eight or nine times during their childhood. And each time we uh, did it, it was in the same tent that we'd had all those years, a little... uh, almost like a pop-up two-person tent. The salesperson told me that it was easy to set up, easy to take down. And the first trip we took, some of you have been there, was to the Natchez uh, Trace State Park over in the western part of the state. And Caleb and I arrived with our tent uh, mid-afternoon. We had a trunk full of Little Debbie cakes and a... Coke and potato chips and some fishing gear and a few other odds and ends. And when we got to the campground, I told my son that we might as well take a few minutes to set the tent up, and then we could go hiking. Two hours later, I was still working on that initial archway of the tent, and darkness was descending, and it was only the kindness of a fellow camper that saved us that day. We went on our little hike and we returned and darkness fell and we lit our brand new Coleman lantern. It took about 30 minutes to figure that one out. We read some things together, shut off the lantern and tried to go to sleep. I got a little better at setting that tent up in the intervening years One year, though, my daughter and I forgot to blow up mattresses and slept in our sleeping bags on the hard ground. Sleep is not really the right word. We tossed and turned until about three o'clock in the morning when we both decided we'd had enough of this, got in the car and came home. It was another year that my daughter and I went in October without looking at the weather and woke up in a tent. On a 29 degree morning. And the year our neighbor in the campground was a man who walked around with a machete. Like he'd walked right out of a horror movie. And the year a snake as long as a car darted in front of us on a hike. And we both began wondering if that little tent we had was secure enough to keep us from waking up with one of those things curled up beside us. The idea of a tent as a metaphor for life is great. The idea of it is great. But the reality is that when you hear animals rustling about outside, or if it starts to rain, or if the wind blows and the temperature drops, or if all the slithering, crawling wildlife happen by and smell Little Debbie cakes, all we had between us was the thin fabric of this small tent built by a less than competent hand. Outside was a vast universe, countless dangers, and the tent was all that shielded us from it. The author of Ephesians operated out of a very particular cosmology. One that remains foreign to to us most of the time, but came alive for me that, that night in that crude little tent. They believed that the earth's atmosphere was the abode of demons, and that the demons flew around in that space, regularly swooping down like hawks after their prey. All of these demons were under the watchful, malevolent eye of the ruler of the power of the air, who commanded them to wreak havoc in human lives. The writer of Ephesians believed that the space between earth and moon was filled with demonic activity. It's this worldview that gave rise to all the other connections between the moon and And a troubled mind. After all, our word lunacy or lunatic comes from the root luna, meaning moon. Lying out under the stars with nothing but a flimsy tent to shield us, I could begin to imagine how the ancients came to believe that the skies were filled with trouble. And for the writer, Trouble is everywhere. Those who live under the power of these elemental spirits are children of wrath, he says. Following the passions of the flesh and the senses. In other places, Paul calls these things principalities and powers. But no matter what name you put on them, they were for him those often unexplainable reasons why we are so captive To things like greed or lust or violence. Or any one of a host of other trespasses. You were dead. Says Paul. Through trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Following the course of this world. But now. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. We like to think that we can do the saving ourselves, you know, and that our tent is sufficient unto itself. And political parties on both the right and the left love to help us imagine that we can take care of all of this on our own. We think we no longer have a race issue But then George Floyd is killed and the nation and the world erupts and names like Breonna Taylor become household names and not for a good reason. We like to think we no longer have a gender issue, but sexual assaults against women continue to escalate and a new phrase has entered our lexicon, me too. We like to think we don't have a poverty problem, but it's far too easy to determine a person's wealth or a person's poverty or a person's health, for that matter, by looking in which zip code they were born. I like to think we've got it all together, managing our emotions and our relationships quite well without any help. And yet there's a mental health crisis in this nation that has been exacerbated by the pandemic and the isolation it has fostered. It would be easy to go on, naming things like sexuality and politics and religious violence, but hopefully you get the point. These are the sorts of things that comprise what Paul calls the ruler of the power of the air, to whom we are enthralled, he says, and then he pauses. Well, we once were enthralled. That's the language of Ephesians. Once you were, but God. Once we were held captive to the ruler of the power of the air, but God. Once we were motivated by greed and power, but God. Once we were compelled to return evil for evil, but God. Once we had no hope, but God. Once we thought we were in our little tent. And the only thing between us and certain destruction was our own success, our own work, our own ability to rest whatever little security we could from our family, our home, our 401k. But God. The writer pronounces an obituary over all who pursue such things. Once you were dead, but God. And that's the the very root of our tradition, the Reformed tradition as well as the vast number of Christian traditions around the world. That one little phrase, but God. All of life is grace from the hand of a merciful God. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with the price. God loves us with a great love before the foundation of time. God chose us and saved us by nothing but grace. That's the root of things. And then the writer proceeds to turn the cosmos upside down. He pronounces us dead and then says, we are raised with Christ into the heavenly places. We are lifted up past the atmosphere, past the lunar abode of the ruler of the air, seated, he says, with Christ. That's not the end of the story. Ephesians proclaims that we are what God has made us. That we have been created by Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. God prepared a people to respond to God's grace by living a certain kind of life. Walking a certain way lives of peace and love and wholeness and commitment and justice. We are called to respond to this amazing, abundant grace in the living of lives that conform to grace, that are shaped like the grace we have received. But even this is not our own doing. When we live this way, we are merely being who we were created to be. We are what He has made us. This, it seems to me, is the posture of the faithful Christian when faced with all that tries to distort the world and keep it from its grace-filled destiny. We walk with humility. We know we did not have salvation. In a way in the world, a way that was established before the world was even created, a way we follow in Jesus Christ. After a long night of sleepless tossing and turning at every sound outside the little tent, I finally went to sleep for a moment. And the next thing I knew, I was awakened by my son looking down at me. He had unzipped the tent, The sun was shining down through the open flaps, silhouetting his face. Hey, Dad, I want to eat. Can we have cupcakes? And so we sat out in the sun. These two little dots in this vast universe with chocolate-covered mouths, communing, silent prayers ascending, thank you, thank you, thank you. From God, to God, and in the years between, a tent. That's all. But with God, it is more than enough. Amen.